At Christmas, we think a lot about gifts, the ones we want to get and the ones we want to give. As Epiphany draws near, we are reminded of the gifts fit for a king, of gold, frankincense, and myrrh that the Magi gave the Christ child. When the gift wrapping is thrown away and unwanted gifts are exchanged or given to someone else, and the Christmas decorations have finally been reluctantly put away, we feel like life is finally getting back to normal. By the time Lent rolls around, we tend to think of the penitential season as something which takes away so many of the gifts of God we love to enjoy. Lent is about less food, less drink, less entertainment, less merriment, less joy, as we transition our focus from the child in the manger to the man of sorrows crowned with thorns and nailed on a cross. But we don't often think of Lent in a different key, as a time when God gives some of His greatest gifts to those who are open to receiving them. So this Lent, I'd like for you to think of it less as an endurance test to see how long you can go without, and more of a time to receive new gifts of the Spirit and see how well you can go with them. The readings from the Gospel of Mark in year B of the three-year Sunday cycle of readings in our ordinary form present us with five gifts God can give us during Lent if we're ready to open our hearts to receive them. And we're going to do a sermon series on each one of those gifts that corresponds to each Sunday of Lent. Repentance, yes, that is a gift. Transfiguration, reverence, enlightenment, and glorification. That's going to be our meditation during this Lenten season, the five gifts of this season. On Ash Wednesday, we each came forward to receive on our foreheads the sign of the cross made with the remains of the palms from last year's Holy Week burned and ground into dust. Our ordinary form has two options for the formula accompanying the imposition of ashes. Remember you are dust and to dust you shall return, and repent and believe the gospel. And the minister can choose either one of the formulas. I know some of the clergy were joking that on Ash Wednesday night in our dreams, we were saying, remember you are dust and to dust you shall return, because we said it so many times, thanks be to God on Ash Wednesday. Now, I don't make the rules, of course, but I kind of wish we could use both at the same time. Why? 
Well, as Christians, we don't want to be obsessed with death because we know that we are destined for immortal glory in Christ Jesus. But sometimes we need to be reminded of the fact that one day we will die and find ourselves before the judgment seat of Christ, where we will have to account for what we have done and what we have failed to do. And so I have to ask you a question that I have to ask myself too. If you died right now at this moment, how would that meeting go? The saints often meditated on death, not because they were morose and macabre neurotics, but because a healthy fear of God led them to repent of their sins precisely by believing the good news of Jesus that not even the worst of our sins has to be the end of our story. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Now, this isn't what our culture teaches at all, though. We now live in a time in which the internet can drag up that photo of you on a wild and crazy night during your misspent youth, video you without your knowing it when you least expect it, and put to the top of everyone's feed that careless and thoughtless moment on Twitter you figured was dead and buried long ago. Now, don't get me wrong. This ability has allowed journalists and seekers of justice to expose hypocrisy and cover-ups of discrimination, abuse, and the most appalling crime. But there is a dark side to this ability as well. Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. But is anything really ever dead anymore in this day and age? We remember that one of the titles of Satan is the accuser. And streams that there are a lot of accusations being flung around all over the place all the time. As AI begins to take over the world like something in a dystopian futuristic film, we are only now beginning to grasp how the benefits of this leap in technology may be outweighed by its potential for tragic misuse. How many times did Jesus say, go and sin no more? Now, I'm willing to bet the Easter collection a lot more times than the Bible actually records. It is the real message behind the formula of absolution in the sacrament of penance when we go to confession. I absolve you. I unchain you from your sins. 
Yet today there are so many people who think that there is no such thing as sin, or that they aren't capable of committing a sin, or if they do, they can actually be held responsible for it. It's always someone else's fault. As we try to deflect onto someone else what we have done and what we have failed to do. It is very fashionable today, however, to talk about structures of evil, generational curses, and systemic fill in the blank with a word with the suffix ism attached to the end of it. And they, whoever they are, they're the ones responsible. And quite conveniently, they never includes me, does it? They do this, they do that, they did something. We now have a vested interest in pointing out what they have done and what they have failed to do because it deflects from our own self-reflection and need to change. Virtue signaling makes us feel awfully self-righteous as if we are warriors for truth, justice, and the American way because we engage in cancel culture. I Know What You Did Last Summer was not just a 90s slasher cult classic film. Big Brother is always using one of us to do his dirty work for him, and Big Brother's real name is Satan. And so we're all kind of suspended in this never-ending standoff where at any moment, anything you say or do or think or do not say or do or think can and will be used against you in the court of public opinion. Vigilante justice risks replacing law and order. And the long arm of this mercenary force has a very long memory. In fact, it seems eternal. Except when the news cycle goes on to spin something else, leaving yet another victim behind. Jesus Christ, however, He doesn't have such a long-term memory. In fact, when he stretched his arms wide upon the cross, he let go of your sins, and he let go of your past. Behold, I make all things new. But the world can't tolerate the new from a forgetful Savior. The world just goes on and on, recycling your past sins over and over again, making you think that there's no end in sight and no way out. The world is old, decrepit, decaying and passing away, and just as a dead body begins to stink with a stench that is nauseating to smell, the world has ceased to be a pleasant garden to dwell in. 
Adam and Eve messed up that garden of delights for us like a dog to its vomit time and time again to the old man of sin inside of us. Adam may have died a thousand, a million deaths in each one of us, and we still stay inside the comfort zone of the grave. So our forgetful God comes with the perfumed holiness of all the saints in the body of the enclosed garden of the Virgin Mary. Emmanuel, God with us, gives us the first gift of his public ministry, not by changing water into wine at Cana, the first miracle, but by making a radical statement, repent and believe the gospel. The Greek word here used in the New Testament is metanoete. It's a command which literally renders the concept, change your mind. One biblical scholar noted that it is an unusual grammatical construction and commented, this imperative is the grammatical mood of kings. Christ is invoking his own sovereign authority to command his listeners and us today to change our minds from following the old leaven of sin and choosing to believe the good news that we can actually begin again. We change our mind to put on Christ, the new Adam, who rose from our sin and death, which he willingly took upon his own sinless self. In the very first word of his public ministry, he asserts his royal dignity by inviting us to be a part of his household of faith. His first word is a gift, the gift of being told that we can actually change. Let the past stay in the past, begin again, and become a new creation. But are you willing to receive that gift today? Are you willing to leave the past behind where it belongs with its sins and its shortcomings and the stench of dying Adam? Are you willing to forgive yourself as God has forgiven you and forgive your neighbor as you yourself are forgiven? And are you willing to do something awfully courageous? Are you willing to stand before the accuser, before the court of public opinion, before the media mobs and say, I am a child of God and an heir to heaven. I have been washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. I'm not afraid of you or of anything because the love of my God has cast out all fear and I am on the way to glory.
Are you willing to say that and to mean it and see your life be transformed because of it? Then you have received the first gift of Lent, repentance. And if you continue down this path, the Lord Jesus is going to give you more gifts as well. So stay the course and be blessed.